Welcome to Getting Curious, honey. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 30-minute conversation, but let's be honest, a lot of times it takes longer than 30 minutes because I cannot stop myself from talking. Uh, but we sit down for a conversation with a brilliant expert showing all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm curious about gender bias and film scoring, and what is even film scoring anyway? What is her story? With film composer Jessica Ray Huber. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Vaness. I'm so excited that we have this guest in studio today. We, I'm just going to get right out, just put it right out there who we have. We have gorgeous Jessica Ray Hubert, right? Huber. Huber. I just really wanted <laughs> to put that French emphasis on it. This wouldn't be a Getting Curious moment if I didn't mispronounce your last name. I always, I do that a lot. Uh, I'm working on it. That's and great. I love you, it. You know, <laughs> Huber. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. Got it. Jessica Ray Huber. Yep. You got, got it. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> So you guys picture it. Jessica has the most amazing hair. (laughs) You're giving me a beautiful little baby quip, like a little pompadour, textured, tousled moment. (laughs) You can tell that your natural curl is absolutely stunning. (laughs) No, it really is. Like, I'm like, just, I just like love wavy textured hair. I am a wavy textured hair person, (laughs) hair having person myself. (laughs) Anyway, so you're a film composer. I am, yes. And what I'm so excited to talk about is just what that looks like, like, how does that process look like? How do you put things together? Where does one get this inspiration from? I obviously have eyes and you're a woman. You're in, <laughs> you're so like what's it like to be a lady in composing like totally, in yeah. the day? Like yeah, I it's mean, so, a, yeah, a lot of questions. I'll, I'll try. I do. There's so I'll many. Try to, yeah, I'll try to like unpack. So you let's know. start from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beethoven. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, uh, I'm just kidding. But like, do you remember like? Are you into that kind of music or were you or like what got you inspired to make? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I actually grew up kind of doing singing in church and doing that kind of thing and then sort of realized that that's not the best creative outlet for, you know, wanting to go deeper into music and simultaneously was um, developing this love of film in my teen years and into my early 20s. And um, I got married young to my husband and Oh my God, you guys are still together? Yes, we are. Yeah, 12 years. Almost 12 years. (laughs) And then where are you from, really quick? Um, South Florida. Cute. Okay, great. So so we were like high school sweethearts, and he's very supportive. And he is someone who uh, was like, hey, you know, why don't you just like do this? You know, like, let's go back to school and like, you know, study film scoring. And like, what else are we going to like follow? So you went to school and studied film scoring? I did. Yes, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston while he, my husband, was also getting one of his degrees there at the same time. So we were like, you know, we basically was like taking a vow of poverty for both of us to be students at the same time. And, um, but yeah, it was an adventure. And then, um, Kind of started working out here, did the whole like intern thing and worked my way up, worked for a big composer. And then I started writing for him. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys, so you finished school. And then, because I think I also was like literally TBH having, which I'm also trying to not say TBH anymore, but I like almost started <laughs> crying because that was like so sweet. Cause like your guys' like story is so cute. And like, I was like, I'm never going to have anyone just like going to die alone. And then I was yes, like, wait, you you're will. interviewing yeah. like a really amazing person. Like, this is not about you, girl. Like, pull it back. And so, but basically, so you finished school and then you. He was yep. like, and so then you guys moved to LA? We or, did, yeah. Because you got this job working for this hurt. Well, yeah. And actually at the time I didn't, I sort of came out here and we had like no prospects of anything. We were just like, you know, living the dream of like, let's go and uh, go out west. Scary. <laughs> totally scary. So an age old saying, you know, know, let's right? go out west. I go out west. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I kind of, I'll back up and explain like, you know, a, a lot of people try to get in by 
you know, working your way up underneath a bigger composer because you're often like, you don't know what you're doing, right? You went to school and so you have some training about how to use the technology, how to write your tech, you know, all the technique things, but you have no clue how to navigate anything. And it's like such a crazy fast paced um, industry, like everything in the industry is, you know, every facet of it is. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it was, you know, a process of like, I was an intern and did all the interny things and then worked my way up and, you know, was given more responsibility and that kind of thing. And um, since then, I, I don't work for anybody now. I'm, you know, I'm my own composer, focusing on my own career. Um, and and that's often what people do. You know, you work for someone and you kind of branch off. I actually still write for that same guy. Um, and so it's it's cool. Like, he still throws me writing work. It's not a bad way to pay your bills writing music. So yeah, even if that's what own, you love to do. Yeah, so my, my own name is often on Not What I Write. I, I do have stuff with my own name on it, like smaller projects as I'm trying to build my career. But um, it's, you know, when you write additional music, which is most of what I do, you're kind of like, you know, you, you'll get thrown some, you know, we call them cues. So like a track in, in a show or movie, you know, you would call it a cue. So it could be anywhere from like, you know, two seconds to like a 10 minute plus long thing. So you're just given something, right? And it's like, you're given direction and, you know, write this and it should be like this. And, you know, so, and depending on how difficult the producer director is or how, you know, difficult the client is, depends on how difficult it is. Or sometimes the complexity of music, you know, like sometimes it can be harder that way too. Do you ever, um, oh my God, I have so many questions. Do you ever (laughs) get like, um, if you so if you get that chunk in, like let's say it's you know a couple minutes or whatever, mm-hmm. but let's say it's like an intense scene, like someone's dying or something, yeah. Um, and you have to like write this music, and so when you say there's cues, like they've mm-hmm. given you like maybe like a beat here or there, like some four counts here and there, but then there's like a bunch of blank stuff that you got to fill in, or you got to like add in like the crescendos and then like take away or like or like or that's like sound makes sense, like a whole other thing. Or but the real question is because that was all just observations, but kind of <laughs> questions, but I want you to answer the yeah, observations yeah. or whatever. But also, um, do you ever get to see the footage and then? And if so, do you have to sign like NDAs and like you can't like talk yes. about it and stuff? Yeah, totally. So you definitely have to sign NDAs and like I. So I, have you ever seen a death before everyone else did? And now is it yes, over? You can talk about it. Times, you did. Can you talk about it now that it's over? Uh, yes, I can. Tell, yeah. Oh my god, which, 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 which is like the most high-profile death you've seen before anyone else knew? Um, if you tell so, me something from Downton Abbey, I will fucking freak out. Not that, but like I. So I've worked a lot on The Walking Dead. Oh so my that, god, there's a lot of deaths on that show. Did so. you see Glenn? Yes, I did. <laughs> you know that's why I stopped watching that show. It's I don't hard. Know, I don't yeah, know a lot you, of people don't, did. No, that was the final straw for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I could almost cry just thinking about it. But it's like, really rough. Do you, yeah. do you still work over there? I still work on that show. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, sidebar. Sidebar. This is. I don't. Okay. It's, okay. <laughs> I just feel like the fake tiger in The Walking Dead now, and also the fake tiger that I just saw in. Uh, Westworld. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know who's Dude. doing that CG department, honey. <laughs> and I'm so sorry if I ran into you, yeah, and you're probably really, really lovely. And I, <laughs> I'm so sorry because I know this is like a small world, but like, can I? I don't know if we need to use real tigers. No, no, because no, because it's like animal cruelty, and then they'll like eat someone. Yeah, I'm that. just not buying it. You know what I mean? I'm so sorry. I feel like that's the biggest difference with TV and movies, is you notice the budgets are di- like for CG are different. So you oh, <laughs> is that the problem? But so it's a budget thing. So in TV, they're often given a lot less than like a Marvel movie that's going to have a bazillion dollars to do whatever they want with that. So so back to like my anyway. genius producer who was like right here, or my genius comp- 
composer who's right here. I'm going to stop talking about those, but like, yeah. But so anyway, but so you've seen some stuff like that. And so sometimes it's more collaborative and less collaborative. Like sometimes people be like, Oh, I love what you did. And you're like, yeah, I love you. You're easy. Totally. Absolutely. And so what I'm given just to back up and talk about the process, like I have the footage, I have the video on my computer and it's got like sometimes temp music. And then, um, sometimes not most of the time it does. So the producers and editors and, um, someone called a music editor sometimes will put in a temp. And so it's kind of like, because it's really hard to watch anything without any music. So they'll just get something from Muzak. Yeah, it could it could come from anywhere. Could, like an online, it, like one of those like banks. Well, it could come from anywhere because it's not ever going to be seen by the public, right? So it could be the composer's previous work. could be something from another composer. could be anything and everything. So it helps kind of guide you, but sometimes that can be really misleading because you're like, well, no, this isn't what you want. So now they get stuck in their brains wanting, oh, but I liked how the temp did this. And it's like, yeah, but you don't own the temp. We need to write... Music that you own that you can put in your show, and then sometimes they can get nitpicky. But they can make it feel like that. But yes, to, exactly. You have to kind of make something new. You can't just like steal someone's music and you know. You have what to about making it. it different instruments? Like if if the mm-hmm. thing that they're obsessed with is like violin and piano, can you sure. be like, well, we could do like a trombone, flute, clarinet moment? You can, yeah. But, but those sound like shit together. I just said instruments. Um, no, no. I mean, those you could would sound awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I I also feel like I'm learning how to like shove such an interesting con- like concert in a thirty minutes like so what instruments do you play or do you just learn how to compose like I'm mostly a singer oh um, my god Uh, and then I play a little bit of guitar and a little bit of cello but very badly and I do you don't not you do not don't say that just uh, I pretend play you know (laughs) but (laughs) But can you like vibrato on cello yes I can yes (laughs) I love a good vibrato that's so good (laughs) um but you can obviously write all the music yes Yeah. yeah so I've got my computer set up and so like to just continue walking through the process like I've got basically a blank scene and instructions in front of me on the computer so you know that might be anywhere from like a paragraph written in an email or some notes or there might be very little instruction, especially if it's something you've worked on for a while, like a show. You kind of know what they were going to want because you're not really reinventing the wheel. You're just kind of doing similar instruments, similar sound, you know. So I've got my computer loaded up with like thousands of tracks and um, synths and anything you can imagine that is, you know, an instrument. And I have they're all fake in there, though. So they're, they're what's called samples. So, you know, people go in the studio with a violin, sample it, and then they turn it into something I can play on my keyboard. So play that in. And then, um, you know, often it gets replaced by a real player later because, you know, the fake stuff doesn't sound as good. So, But it's, an, it's, it's for the purposes of demoing it. So, like, the producer can hear, like, hey, do you like this? Cool. Then we're going to go record it because you don't want to waste money because it's very expensive to record. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's um, – and, yeah, you just go through a process of revision and um, basically, like, you know, it's their project, right? So it's, it's their um, – they're the ones that it's their vision, right? It's like, you know, if I want to write my own thing and have no one tell me what to do, I'll write concert music, which is awesome. And it's, a, but it's a completely different medium. So, so and you're not interested in like, in like that world really. I am. And actually I have done it. I wrote a concert piece last year and was in a concert. It was super fun. And I want to do it again. Um, but it's like one outlet, but film scoring is sort of like, it's, it's a story. Like I got into it because I'm obsessed with storytelling. I mean, the amount, I consume like so many TV shows all Me the too. time because I'm just like so into it, you know, and it's. And you work on some of like everyone's favorites, like the walking dead. You just mm-hmm. mentioned, I may or may not have done like a little bit of pre-research, but like, <laughs> uh, but like. 
Outlander, which everyone is, I love that show so much. Yeah, it's really fun. The books are good too. (laughs) Which I did. Did you read them? Yes, I did. Oh my god, I love. Really good. Oh my god, because like, did that give you inspo for how in your imagination you would make the music? Totally. Yeah, totally. I think it helps a lot. And uh, they stay pretty close to the books, so it's actually kind of, you know, nice to read ahead and see. (laughs) Yeah, I know where it's going and stuff. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, have you done like comedy and like comedy? A little bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Is writing for that harder, easier? Like what do you find is like, or what intrigues you the most? Yeah, I am, um, I'm super uh, melancholy, like as a person. So I, I get intrigued. You don't by strike the me dark. as melancholy I, at all. I'm wearing pink, so I look a little bit more happy than I am on but the inside. Just like but. so creative, like amazing. <laughs> but I mean, but I feel like I can be like, really like have like a Sade, like Adele, like look out the window and just like yes. cry, even if it's sunny out moment too. So sometimes even though we're totally. smiling in the ass, it doesn't mean that you, yeah, we can be melancholy, but yes. look happy. yeah. I love writing for orchestra. I love big sweeping melodies. Uh, I think because I'm a singer, I love like a, just a good melody. That's another thing too is film scoring lately has been devoid of a lot of melody. You know, when you think of like basically the most famous film score ever is Star Wars, John Williams. You know, you think of all those themes and everyone can hum them, right? Everyone knows them. But often, you know, films are not written that way anymore. There's just kind of like the jun, 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 you know, just like the pulsy kind of stuff. And, you you know, it's fine, but then you kind of walk away and you don't really, you can't hum anything that you just heard from yeah, the Yeah, I movie. can't think of like a bomb-ass, though, yeah, no. It's hard, it's hard to remember one that sticks with you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Although my friend Anna Wigenstein, who, when we were little, she wanted to grow up to be a film critic. Mm-hmm. She, I remember she was writing her Born Identity, like, review, like, whilst we were watching the movie in the theater. And I remember looking down and she wrote, like, this score is very jarring. Because mm. it was, like, techno or something. It wasn't, yeah, like, an yeah, orchestra. Yeah. Synths and things like that, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another question I have, but we're going to go back there more, is how, what about, like, effect, like, effect noises? Like, if mm-hmm. you're if they ask for music, then they want, like, like, do you have, like, a bank of those effects in you? And would you have to deal with that, or does someone else do that? So one of the things I love to do in my own writing is take things that are, I mean, I've literally yelled into a microphone or, like, hit something or you know, like had a weird scratchy sound on a guitar and then record that. Then I run it through a bunch of effects um, and basically map it so that I can play that on any key on my keyboard. So it's basically like this, you can get really low or really high and it can sound super weird. And, And you don't even really recognize what it was in the beginning. And one of the things I love about that is I'm the only one in the world that has that sound. So it's a very custom way to write. You know, like you can still use, I mean, I love writing for like instruments that we all know and love and, you know, piano, violin, whatever. But, you know, it's really cool to layer in those things or making your own pad sound an ambient sound that way too. What's like an example of that in like a movie or something so I can know what you're talking about like in my head? Um, A lot of horror films will have this, you know, like a lot of what you're hearing blurs the line between what is what we call sound design. So that's like a different person's job on the film. Like Which a, that's you know, like the person who's recording like, 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 yeah. like you think it's like squishing an apple. Yeah, like yeah, it looks yeah. like that's it is, Foley, but really. Yeah, that's Foley. But then so a sound designer, someone who's like, they have a similar setup to myself, but it, except they may not have the keyboard, right? Because they're not doing music. They're making sounds and they do record sounds and they put them in and that kind of stuff. So they do that part too. Yes, they do. So what's that Foley thing? 
Foley is when someone's on a Foley stage and they're actually watching the film in real time. And so, you know, they'll do like footsteps in real time to kind of make, or like they'll squish things in. One of the funniest videos, if you want to look it up, is like the guy that makes all the kissing sounds on The Bachelor. Like he, you know, like uses fruit and squishes it together. Really, really hilarious. That's a Foley artist. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I need to look that up. Yeah, I feel like I see the really Dateline about that yeah, or something. yeah. That's like a thing. Yeah, it's but so, so funny. Is the sound design person like do they make it quieter and louder and make it like all like meld together? So that's what happens at the end of the process when everything's recorded and mixed by itself, then it gets brought to what's called a dub stage. So basically that's like it looks like a giant movie theater without any seats in it. But in the middle it's got the biggest soundboard you've ever seen in your life with like all these computers hooked up and then all these like fancy chairs in the back so producers can sit and like hear the film in its finished version. So a mixer will like, they know what all those buttons and things do and they're taking all the elements. Oh, stand by one yeah, second. Yeah. Right, I can't lose my train of thought. More in two seconds. Support for today's show comes from Grove. Grove is an e-commerce company that makes it easy to discover the best natural products to take care of your home and family. And make sure you never run out of your favorites, honey. I hate that when you run out of your stuff, honey, but with Grove, that will not happen. With their own safe, effective, and affordable Grove flagship products, as well as amazing brands like Mrs. Myers, Method, 7th Generation, Tom's, and Real and Simple, Grove curates premium quality products that are natural, beautiful, and sustainable. Then they deliver everything right to your door when you want it. Better yet, they offer free shipping and free returns, no questions asked, yes, queen, and their Grove guides are always available to answer questions or add items to your next order if you run out. So guys, I love Grove. It's great. You just go on their website. You pick whatever you need. You can mix and mingle. They have beautiful bath products. They have gorgeous cleaning products. I get all my seventh generation from there. Um, and it's just, it's really great. Also, Grove products themselves are beautifully packaged. It's like super convenient. And it's just so nice to not have anything run out and just have it readily available. She's like, at your fingertips. So sign up for Grove Collaborative at grove.com slash JVN and you will receive a $30 Mrs. Meyer gift set for free with your order of $20 or more. So what you can do, hunties, if you want to utilize this deal to the best of your ability, take yourself on over to grove.co. That's grove.co, not .com. She's just a .co. And then when you go and sign yourself up there, honey, you're going to get a $30 Mrs. Meyer gift set when you spend $20. So just spend $20. So easy to do. And then you'll get a $30 Mrs. Meyer gift set. I love that deal. They have lost their minds. That is too good to be true, honey. Sign up, grove.co slash JVN and get your self-care on, honey. It is June, which means it's Pride Month, which means I am so gay and so proud, and I want to tell you about some gorgeous shows that live right here at Earwolf that I think are just gorgeous and proud and gay. The first one that we're going to talk about this week in celebration of Pride Month, which every week we're going to give you a gorgeous little podcast moment, honey, uh, that you need to be listening to, is Homophilia. She is a queer comedy party where hosts Dave Holmes and Matt McConkie, ooh, I love his name, grill LGBTQ celebrities on what they're loving and who they're loving. Ooh, Lord, it gets real in there. You guys may remember when Dave Holmes did Getting Curious and what a gorgeous episode that was. He is a brilliant writer, brilliant host, brilliant person, someone who I love. And he's also from very close to where I'm from. We're, you know, geographically gay brothers. And I love that about us. And he's just so sweet. And that Matt McConkie, not only does he have an amazing name, but he's also very funny. And you really just got to listen. They're great guys. 
I don't know if I'm going to go on that podcast. It's kind of scary sounding, but I love Dave Holmes on it. So I'm going to get in there and I'm just going to face my feels. And then they have an in-depth, eye-opening, and hilarious conversation about everything from their pop culture obsessions to their guests' personal experiences with dating, sex, and love. Honestly, that's giving me like lube realness, scary date realness. Like what's even going to come up? I don't know. You don't know, which is why you need to tune in, subscribe, and download to Gorgeous Homophilia. Um, You get to know different people like, oh my God, I already did this show, and Margaret Cho, and Trixie Mattel. And it actually wasn't even that scary. It was really fun. So you should listen to her because they're really respectful and they're really fun. So listen to their fucking podcast. Also, episodes are released every Friday, just in time for the weekend. Celebrate Pride Month with Earwolf and subscribe to Homophilia now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Venice. So it's kind of like a Willy Wonka, like movie theater. There's no seats. And then there's like an island in the middle yes, of it. That's, that's exactly a soundboard. Like. Yes, totally. And then everyone sits there and there's only like one or two people that know how to do that. Would you be there for this part? Because you were the composer. Yes, as a composer, you want to try to go to these mixes as much as possible um, when they're playing back the film. Because, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, someone might want the. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever like been there and just been like. No. Like <laughs> I pro- haven't, no. <laughs> like a producer's been like, no, I don't really, and you're like, no. Like I, this I've music, never done that, no. <laughs> has it, has it, did like your mentor ever, have you ever been in the room when no. like, that well, happened? No, so usually like it's all approved at that point. So they may change some stuff. Like, so, you know, they may be like, oh, let's kind of pull that out because I kind of never really liked that. It's still not working for me. But there's never you know? like a huge. It's not usually a disaster. So sometimes they will pull things out, but it's not usually like the worst disaster ever because you've usually demoed it for them. A few Can times. you tell me a story about a disaster that you like heard about it? <laughs> so like, is there like what's like the worst thing? What's like the, the urban legend of like Willy Wonka editing room? Like in, in the editing room, I do know well. I do we don't know have a, to say no names. Yeah, just, yeah, I love yeah. an urban legend. So I, there is a composer that got thrown out on the movie um, Troy back in the day. Remember that movie that was like <gasps> the powder, know? kind of like powder, but they no, that was no, Michael. It was about like it was about like um, oh, like the, a, like Greece. Yeah, 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 Troy. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he the, that era that was so that was so popular yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah, so three hundred Troy. Yeah. Yes. So sometimes like producers and like the studio will be like, get this person out of here. Like, this is not working. In the the Willy Wonka meeting? No, no, no. Not there. But, like, this was, like, right before the film had to be done. Like, two weeks before. And they threw the entire score out. And they hired another guy who did the score who did it, like, really fast. (laughs) Probably didn't sleep for two weeks. And um, But then the guy, like, basically (laughs) kind of had a fit on the internet and posted his score to it and being like, see, mine was good and like had kind of like a little like whiny fit about it and he's like never worked in Hollywood since. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't no. even remember his name but like that's the kind of thing is like you have to graciously, you know, if someone does not you get fired. You know, everyone can get fired. You've got to, like... You've got to be graceful, and you got to just be like, oh, okay, because it's their project, you know? So you have to kind of <sighs> defer to them and just be... You know, I'll back up and say the best that film scoring can be is when the director and the composer are in sync. And it's a collaboration, and it's magical. And it's like, you know, the director's not maybe not a musician, and they're saying things, and the composer's translating what he, the feelings the director wants into what that means musically. So, like, then it just becomes this thing. And, you know, that's when you get the emotions. Like, I've been on um, big recording sessions. It's one of my favorite things to do because you get a giant orchestra in front of you, and it's like, oh, my God. You know, it comes to life, right? Uh, and so 
people who work on the show or the movie, like they get emotional because they're like seeing their movie for the first time with this emotion. You know, these beautiful players are playing this stuff and it's just like, I, I have cried several times in recording sessions because you're often with the world's best players. You know, there are these people who can sit and just play things, sight reading it, having never seen this music and they play it perfectly. It's like magic. So. <sighs> So good. <laughs> what was like the most, well, I, oh my God, I hate my brain is like really intense. Um, <laughs> so for you, composer and director working in such synchronicity to mm-hmm. make the best quality work, in your opinion, your top, most mind-blowing, like you're just like, ah. My favorite score, basically. Yeah. So the score that- Top really, three. Yeah. So my the favorite score that really got me into film scoring is- the Lord of the Rings, Howard Shore is the composer, Peter Jackson, the director. Like, that's one of those that in the last, I mean, it's been a while now, but, you know, you can remember those themes. That's gorgeous, like, you know, writing and just like gorgeous melodies and like a beautiful giant orchestra and ethnic instruments that are like unique. And yeah, that one is like probably my favorite score of all time. Um, I like this guy, Dario Marianelli, who did, like, the the most recent Pride and Prejudice and Atonement and things like that. So he's, like, beautiful orchestra, piano-y. You know, I, I tend to love that kind of stuff. So I, I gravitate towards that. So um, One thing I've learned from my five seconds, like, working a lot on camera is, like, <laughs> like especially with, like, stylists, for instance. Like, mm-hmm. starting over with someone is, like, oh, my God. Like, you're just, like, let me... Just find someone who I love that knows mm-hmm. how to like, translate what I mean, even if it sounds crazy, but it can like make it look cute. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's kind of what it's like with a composer. But it, I imagine it's hard to make room for a lot of new composers or to get people to be able to bust in because direct, like, I, I feel like it's probably such like a boys club and like a, you know, and once a composer or once a director does find a composer they like to work with, it's hard to like. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how, so for you, you're, totally killing it. You're like, got your own work now. You're like writing your own scenes. You got your own, like or composing your own scenes and, mm-hmm. you know, doing like really major work. But like, how do you get to like, get to your next place that I'm sure you want to do like feature films and stuff. Sure. And, yeah. and is obviously like in the moment of like me too and women's totally. visibility, like, is there, how's it going? Yeah. You know, and I, I will say in the world of composing, it's rough and it's something that's not talked about. The statistics are, the last couple of years, of the top 500 films that have appeared in theaters, only 3% of them had a female composer, which is so staggeringly low. It's even lower than the amount of female directors. So it's a little better in games, like video games, and it's a little better in uh, shows, TV. So that's good. You know, we celebrate the progress of, like, any more women, you know, getting their names on things, but it's hard, you know, at the high studio level, it is a very hard thing to break into. And there's a lot of really talented female composers. That was my next question. You must have been like sensing it happening. Is there a lot of like fierce competition, like burgeoning, like ladies talent and like, it's just not being utilized. Yeah. And you know, often you'll see, um, they're utilized like I was, you know, and am as like part of a team or, you know, the hilarious thing is sometimes people are like, oh, a woman can't handle a big thing. But ironically, women are often the badasses in the room who are like, they're the, the ones glue. that can, they can like fix stuff and coordinate stuff. And just, it's a, like scoring a film takes several people. It takes a lot of support. You can't really do it by yourself. It takes like a team and it's very fast paced and, you know, like. That's actually like in a lot of women's skill sets, you know, to be able to be like really logistically savvy. But ironically, they kind of have this unfair sort of stigma of like, well, 
you know, we're just going to go back to the same guys we keep going back to because we at least know they can handle it. Because it's kind of a risk, right? It's like, a you know, if a studio is dropping $300 million on a movie, they're like, well, we don't want to risk this on, you know. And the problem is, like, <laughs> scoring is at the end, right? So if they're already struggling with a film— you know, they're like, they're, they're like nervous already. Cause like, if they're not happy with it, they're like, they really want to find someone that's going to be like an ace in the hole for them. And it also needs to, well, it's like also studios taking chances on making movies with new directors and new talent. that would like yep. want to bring in new composers. Cause like, yep. I was trying to think about like big movies last year with like new directors. And I was thinking like Lady Bird, I was thinking, get out. I was thinking like, those are new directors or people who are yeah. making their first movies. Like, I wonder who they use. And if, and it like, like when it happens for the studio, like, are they like, okay, well it's time to compose your movie. We're going to bring in like five people and whoever you like mm-hmm. the best. Or it's like, but my friend is a composer from high school. Like I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, if you knew someone randomly, maybe because you guys worked on a project before. It's a little bit of both. You know, it's like, it's, it's a, who do you know, you know, and who have you worked with before? And it's also like, yeah, sometimes there's a demo process. And the problem with the big This films, demo process is like an audition process for exactly, a composer. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you'll you'll give them whatever they're asking for, whether it's like tracks you've already written or you might write a custom demo that's like, this is what I would do with this film. Um, or like, you know, it might be like a few minutes long or whatever. Um, but basically, it's like a lot of women are not considered at that level when it's like being, de- you know, sets of demos are all, I mean, and it's all behind closed doors, right? So none of us know about it, but- you know, from the statistics of like what we hear, you know, it's just women are not really considered at that level, even though they're very, very capable. And there's a lot of very, very talented uh, female composers. The ironic thing is it's like, this is art and music, right? It should be the most equitable area that we have as a human expression, right? It's like, we're not getting the full range of our human expression when we cut off you know, so many, and this is how we consume stories as a culture right now, as we watch shows and we watch movies. And so, you know, I, I was a bit naive when I got into it, probably like in not even being aware of these statistics, I kind of was just like, yeah, I'm going to follow my dreams and yeah. kind of, you know, it's like the, the young optimism that I had at the time about a decade ago. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I still have that optimism because I see it changing. Um, and I've worked with a lot of amazing people, sweet people, sweet guys, but I've also worked with some real assholes, you know, and some guys that screwed me over and like backstabbed me. And I've, I've been in like, what does that look like? Well, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, can any, it can be anything from like someone on a composing team who wants to kind of weasel you out. And I have a lot of friends who are at the same level as me and have worked with a lot of assholes as well. It's a very common experience of like, you know, you're just, everything's a competition at every level. So if you're an intern, that could be competitive. If you're at the next level, you know, it's all the way up the How chain. How many is there? <laughs> like levels? Well, it just depends. You know, I mean, you, you know, I could. Like in the composer's room for a feature, there's like sure, interns yeah. and then there's like medium and then there's like the composer. So basically like as far as the studio or the movie's concerned, they only think of the composer as a person. But that person is going to have their own team because it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. I mean like, I mean yeah, yeah for it's, sure. It's like so when I talk about the team, I'm talking about like the who the composer hired themselves to help them. You know, it could be anywhere from like a person to, you know, dozens of people. So um it's a crazy like competitive thing and and that's fine like I'm not I do not shy away from competition but I do shy away from 
someone using the fact that they're a male to kind of, you know, like I've been in rooms with very powerful people who basically there's this one time I was like sitting at a dinner table with three other very powerful men in the film scoring world and literally did not talk to me the entire time. Literally just talked, uh, literally this one guy talked about me in the third person, like as if I was, instead of asking me a question, you know, just the disrespect and like the dehumanization. It's like, you know, we all haven't been necessarily like harassed physically, but everyone that is a woman in this field has experienced even those small little like nudges are like, no, I'm going to knock you down a few pegs. You know, I'm going to do this. And it's gross. You know, it's so frustrating because you're like, you're a powerful person. And it's like, if you would, I have to get you to consider me as a person before I can even have you listen to my music. You know, like I right. can't even get to the music part because you're not even like, you know, yeah. listening to me as a person. <laughs> yeah. So, so what would you like to see for that to change or what do you think needs to change for more women to be allowed to be in the driver's seat on bigger projects? Sure. Yeah. I, and, and I, I will preface my answer with like, I don't speak for all women in this field. You know, like I think there are some differing opinions of like what you, you should do. Um, you know, my message to people who are content creators is that you should hire women. They're, they're out there, you know, like even just consider a woman, you know, like, it's I, I believe in the equality of opportunity, not necessarily the quality of outcome, right? Not forcing the outcome to have exactly 50% men, 50% women, because the best person should get the job, right? There's a, if I'm up for a project against a person that's a man, if he's better for that project, he should get the job. But I'd at least love to be considered because if that happens enough times, then the odds are I'm probably going to get hired more. Yeah, because you're going to have like a good, yeah, for sure. Exactly. So, And you feel like women aren't even given the opportunity a lot of times. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Especially on the big stuff. For yeah. Sure. No. So what, um, we are out of time. I'm like, want to take the <laughs> pen cap and just shove it in my eye because I want to talk to you for <laughs> way longer. But I have two questions that I sure, want to say on yeah. the way. What is like one thing that you've done that you're the most proud of mm-hmm. in your career? I actually like got up in front of an orchestra and conducted it at a concert last year. It was called the Futurist Female Concert, which is very applicable to this because it was made up of all women composers just showcasing like, hey, we're out here, like come to our show and look at what we can do. Um, there's another one coming up in uh, November. Um, but yeah, it was that was like the scariest thing I ever did. And it was awesome. And Do you know I, the date and time of it? It's going to be, I believe, November um, 4th this year. Okay, well, we will tweet mm-hmm. out. We will story that out, yeah. those dates and times. And then um, my other question is, where can people find you? And where can they hear sure. your work or find your website? Or I want people to find you. Yeah, uh, my website is jessicarayhuber.com. Um, I'm also on... I've got a fan page on Facebook. I've, yes. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Jessica Ray Huber, R-A-E-H-U-B-E-R. Um, I'm active on all those places. So Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll have links to that on whatever uh, device you're listening to this episode on. And Jessica, I just have to say thank you so much for coming. It's been a pleasure. Thank and, you. <laughs> and sharing that process with me. I, I think my new trend is that I have to have everyone back because I talk too much. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benes. My guest this week was Jessica Ray Huber. You'll find links to Jessica's work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. And our theme music is Freak by Quinn. We love her. We love the song. Can't get enough of it. And like I said, every time, don't turn this off. Don't stop listening. I'm trying to pitch you on something, honey. If you love our show... 
get like three new people to subscribe or like seven or three. Let's, let's talk about goals or actually what am I talking about? I'm so happy that you're listening to it and I should honestly go fuck myself for like coming at you like that. You know what I mean? I'm so grateful that you listen to my fucking shows. Oh my God. Also, Gay of Thrones is up for Emmy consideration. So I really wanted to get Variety Series short. So if you're an Emmy voter, I forgot that I was supposed to tell you guys that. Please vote for that. She really wants it. Gary, or that Steve Buscemi beat me last time. And Aaron Gibson and I are just, come on, give these little kittens that nomination. We need it. We want it. I'm thirsty for it. I'm the Sahara and the rain is the nomination. And it's all I need to validate my existence. Please. Okay, bye.